15. I also used you as an illustration, Yvonne, this morning uh, in the Bible study. So you may hear your name again. It's not to come back up. It's just... <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 15. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll get one to you so you can track along with us. Corinthians 15. Corinthians 15. Where do we live off? Lots of good numbers thrown out there. I don't remember. I think it was right around verse 22, 23. We're going to move back to verse 20 and get a running start this morning. I just I want to remind us this is so crucial um, this morning to recognize that remember the Apostle Paul is the one that planted this church in Corinth and he had been there for uh, for a little while he pastored them taught them the word and then eventually he left and he left the the church in the hands of, of the leadership there and ultimately in the hands of the Lord and yet uh, a number of problems um, had arose in the church. This, this is a church that was pretty jacked up, correct? Pretty messed up. I mean, this entire letter, by and large, has been corrective in nature. Paul is correcting one issue after another. And we should be eternally grateful because a lot of the issues we face today in the church too, don't we? That's one. Yeah, not here. That's why there's not many amens. I hear about churches around town where, but here is one issue that, um, in particular, that was happening. Chapter 15, Paul is dealing with one specific issue, and it's a false teaching that had taken hold in Corinth. And just by way of reminder, in verse 12 is where we find out what was going on at that time. And it says in verse 12 of chapter 15, it says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead... He asks a question, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And so the problem was what? There was a group of people in the church denying the resurrection. And that's a big deal, isn't it? That's a vital, it's a vital, essential, crucial issue. In fact, he takes all of chapter 15, I think it's like 58 verses, it's the entire chapter, it's all of Paul's correction concerning this issue. And you may remember with me, I'm just going to do a little, little backtracking here, verses 1 through 11, um, Paul reminds us that there is no gospel apart from the resurrection of the dead. Are you with me? The gospel, in a nutshell, is Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Without that component, you do not have a gospel. You don't have good news, correct? And we saw that in verses 12 through 19, the consequences of denying the resurrection. What we lose if there is no resurrection. And then we began last week in verses 20 down through verse 28. And Paul is assuring us that when we die... Does everybody die? Yeah. We all die. Yeah. 
that when we die, our resurrection is as sure as Jesus' resurrection. And then if, I think we're going to get, we got to it first service in verses 29 to 34. Um, what we believe concerning the resurrection has consequences in life. What we believe concerning the resurrection has consequences in our lives. And so let's look at verse 20. Let's go back and get a running start. God's word says, verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Amen. Amen. That's good news. Right? But he is. He's risen from the dead and, notice, has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Let's stop right there, then we'll, get, we'll finish the rest of that little section in just a moment. So let me draw your attention to verse 20. Paul says, but now Christ is risen, right? Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. Isn't that great to be reminded that he's here with us this morning? That when we gather together, he's right here with us. But notice it's mentioned that he's become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does it mean? What does he talk about falling asleep? Is he talking about in church this morning? That he's talking about? He's talking about those people that are just like take a little nap here at church. Not talking about that. He's talking about it was an early church idiom for those who had died in the Lord. And he likens it to sleep. And it's such a beautiful picture, though, isn't it? Remember when Stephen gave his life in the book of Acts? You guys remember that? He was there being stoned. He had shared this amazing uh, sermon, if you will, this Bible study um, with the Sanhedrin. They, they're, they're ticked off, right? They're like so mad. They, they're fuming. They take him outside. And they begin to do what? They stone him. And remember what he said when that was happening? Like, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. That's amazing. And then he looked up. Remember what happened when he looked up? He saw, who did he see? Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I don't think it was like, wow, who is that way back there? Boom, all of a sudden... The heavens open up and there is Jesus standing. Right, Jesus shows up in all of his glory standing to welcome Stephen home. And then it says he fell asleep. Getting stoned, he's getting hit by rocks and then he fell asleep. Isn't that, I, think, I find that interesting. And so it's a euphemism for death for the early church and in the New Testament. But it says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does first fruits mean? Some of you guys know, we talked about it a little, we alluded to it last week. You, you guys in the Old Testament, if you're taking notes, Leviticus 23, the feast of first fruits, you know when it was? It was right after Passover, the Sabbath that, that followed Passover, it was that next day. 
And you know what day that would be? Jesus gave his life for us, fulfilling the Passover. Sabbath came, and then what was the next day? Jesus, Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead to fulfill that, fe- that, that feast of first fruits. Isn't that amazing? Like, glorious. God's word just works all together. But when the worshipers would come for the first fruits, they would bring the best of their harvest. And they were offering it to the Lord. And they were offering it to God in expectation that there would be more to follow. More of the harvest to follow. And so that speaks to us, doesn't it? That Jesus is the first fruits of many more who would follow. That would rise again from the dead. But that term also speaks of the firstborn. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the firstborn of the dead. And that speaks of, in the sense that he is the first to have gone before us to ascend into heaven to the right hand of the Father so that all who believe in him could ultimately follow him and to be with him forever. The Greek word is also used, it's interesting, for an entrance fee. An entrance fee, isn't that interesting? And Jesus paid the price, didn't he? He paid the entrance fee for us to be in heaven with him for all eternity. So that's good news, isn't it? Jesus is the first of many more to follow. Resurrection is being raised from the dead, given a new life, never to die again, but to live forever. It's not resuscitation. Remember, there were a lot of people that got raised from the dead only to die again, right? Lazarus, right? Jairus' daughter, But Jesus rose again from the dead, never to die ever again. And so the resurrection of the dead begins with Jesus. And then look at verse 21. Paul gives this overview in verses 21 down to verse 28 of of, of all of history, beginning from Genesis, going all the way to Revelation chapter 22. He gives kind of this bird's eye overview here. And remember what he talks about. We looked at it last week uh, briefly. Paul talks about the reality. He begins with the reality of original sin. And he contrasts Adam and Jesus. Right? You guys remember this from last week? He contrasts Adam. Paul reminds us of the origin of sin and death. But he also reminds us of the origin of forgiveness in life. This is like super vital, isn't it? Because we are in Adam by birth. In other words, we are Adam's descendants, correct? I think it's in Acts chapter 17. Paul's there at Mars Hill, right? And he's speaking to all these philosophers in front of everybody. And he talks about all of us. God made us all come from one blood. We all go back. Listen, we're all related here. Right? We's kin. That's how they say it way down yonder. We's kin. What? We's kin? We's kin. We're family. We're all part of the Adams family, right? I know that. Never gets old for me. Some of you say like, that. That's enough, dude. We're we're in Adam. We're, we've in, we've inherited a sin nature. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. Mm-hmm. Some of you give me funny looks. If you've had kids, you know you don't have to teach them to what? Not lie. Not to to lie. They already do it naturally. Mm-hmm. To take things. To do things that. Correct? We have to teach them not to lie, not to hurt, not to be mean. It's already, it's already wired in them. But then, how about our life? You guys ever see those signs on the streets that are they're white with numbers on them? 55, like 55, 35? So we're like, what's that sign? I don't know what you're talking about, man. Sinners by nature, sinners by choice, okay? 
broke the law. We break, we're lawbreak, correct? Let's just, we need to hear the bad news first in order to appreciate the good news. We are in Adam. Everybody is messed up and everybody is going to die. And the problem is sin. That's the bad news. But as Christians, we are, we are in Christ by birth as well. That's good news, isn't it? In fact, we're told in John chapter 1, if you're taking notes, it says about Jesus, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we are in Christ by our birth. We were born dead in our trespasses and sins. We placed our trust in Jesus Christ and we have now been made alive. Amen? Amen. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a really good person getting gooder and gooder. (laughs) That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We see now, don't we? Clearly. We know where we came from. We know where we're going because of Jesus Christ. And so it's such a, this is the good news, you guys. And I, this is just a side note, by the way. The Apostle Paul validated the Genesis account. And so did Jesus. Jesus validated the Genesis account as well. Why do I say that? Because there is such an attack on this, even today. Did God really say that? That's the first question of the Bible, was the questioning of God's word by Satan. And there's nothing new under the sun. He still attacks. That's one of his attacks. His tactics is to attack the word of God. Did God really say that? Yes, God did really say that. But he also sent his son to fix that problem. Because he loves us. Because he loves this damaged and deteriorating world. So don't let anyone rip you off, you guys. Especially those of you who are going to school, going to college. Don't let anyone rip you off and say the Genesis Genesis account is bogus. They need to take it up with Jesus and the Apostle Paul. They both validated it. Well, by man came death. Look at verse 21. Adam, by sinning, introduced death into the human experience. If you're taking notes this morning, Romans 5 verses 12 through 21 is the parallel text of this that will help kind of bring some more light to what Paul's saying. The first Adam chose trespass and transgression. God said, don't eat of this tree, this forbidden fruit. And what happened? You guys remember, Eve got deceived, but Adam sinned willfully. He said, I know what God says, and starts munching on the fruit, right? That's what happened. And what, then what happened? The moment he took, they took the fruit and ate, there was sin in Adam's life and in Eve's life. There was, there was death. It resulted in spiritual death, a break in the fellowship between God and man. And so when God came to see them, what were they doing? They were hiding, trying to conceal themselves, right? And isn't that what we do when we're doing something we shouldn't be doing? Correct? Hiding, right? Then the blame game. We talked about this last week. The blame game starts. And so... There was a break in the relationship between humanity and God because of Adam's sin. That's what's known as original sin. But look what it says at the end of verse 21. By man, capital M. Did you see that capital M there? By man. 
There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, capital M, Christ Jesus. He is our mediator. He's the one that has reconciled us unto God. By man came the resurrection of the dead. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he has introduced what? Forgiveness, life, resurrection. Good news, isn't it? Verse 22, Paul reminds us again of the origin of death, how and when it got introduced into the human condition. When Adam partook of the forbidden fruit, the consequence was not only spiritual death, not only fellowship disconnected, but all the, in, the intimacy they previously had, but also we're told physical death was also introduced at this point as well. In fact, how do we know that? If you go back in the Genesis account, you go from Genesis 3 and then 4. You guys remember Cain and Abel, first murder in the Bible, not between two gangbangers, brothers. And then you get to chapter 5. There's a genealogy in there, isn't there? You guys like genealogies? Kind of, kind of cool. If you, if you look at that genealogy... There's, there's names that are listed there, and it says, so-and-so, he died. So-and-so, Lamech, he died. So-and-so, he died. That's how we know death was introduced. All of those people died except for Enoch, right? Got his personal rapture. He's in there too. Awesome. And so that's how we know. Death is real. Guys, death is real. And it is, listen, death is inescapable. No matter how many... Vitamins you take, tummy tucks, facelifts, hair coloring, workout places you go to, protein shakes, wrinkle remover, herbs, gurus you see. Listen, death is inescapable. Not only that, death is not the end. Death is not the end. Death is an enemy, but we read, and we're going to read in just a moment, death is a defeated enemy. It's awesome. How do I know that death is true, death is real? Well, it tells us, in Adam, all die. Are you with me? What does all mean? All means all, and that's all that all means. 10 out of 10, statistics haven't changed. We all die. But look what it says in Adam, all die. So we're part of Adam's family. But even so, in Christ, all shall be made what? Alive. Those in Christ shall be made alive. Isn't that beautiful? So just as just as sure as death is in Christ, our resurrection is just as sure. That's the point that Paul's making here. As sure as death is in Christ, our resurrection is just as sure. The resurrection of Jesus Christ overcame the curse, overcame original sin. Even though we inherit a sin nature, even though we're sinners by nature, sinners by choice, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, check this out, he reverses the curse and causes us to be alive, you guys. Not only in this life we become alive, but also in the life to come when we pass through the veil into eternity. It says in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and it's Jesus who made us alive. The damage was done by Adam, but the fixing and the repair was done by Jesus Christ. 
And so this morning, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? So here's the deal. Some of you may not be in Christ this morning. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Is there evidence that you are alive, that you are living this morning spiritually? Listen, it is, listen, it is impossible for God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit to come into your heart and into your life and there be no change at all. There will be a change. It may not be dramatic at first. It may never be. It may be slow and subtle. It may be my, my conversion. When I got born again, it was like amazing stuff from the get-go. It was like big things removed. Just huge things removed from my life. Now it's more like attitudes and reactions. <laughs> and the Lord's working on this attitude or this thing. And it's like, oh, okay, Lord, I see that. You know what I'm talking about? But there is life. Listen, I had two, I had, I've had two lemon trees in my life. I have a lemon tree now. We've had it for a short time. It's already bearing fruit. Praise God. Amen. That's right. I like lemons. They're killer. I had another lemon tree for about a decade, and it never bore any fruit. Can, yeah. Can you imagine, though? She, I just heard chop it over here. But that's what happened. But can you imagine if I went to go chop down the lemon tree, and the lemon tree said, don't chop me down. You can't see my heart. I'm a lemon tree inside. There's no fruit. You're fruitless. There's no fruit whatsoever in your life. Sorry, you're taking up ground. Listen, our lives will bear fruit. If there, because if there hasn't been a change, then there hasn't been a change. And if there hasn't been a change, then there hasn't been a change in your life. Again, the Holy Spirit, he's called the Holy Spirit for a reason, isn't he? He's not the culturally relevant spirit. He's not the hip spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. He's taking our lives in a certain direction. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? There will be a change. There will be life. It's Jesus who has made us alive. And then ultimately, again, when we pass through the veil, we experience the glory of that resurrected body and the glories of heaven. Well, notice what it says, verse 23. When it comes to the resurrection, there's an order. It says, but each one in his own order. By the way, that is a order is a military term. It's like when you see a parade marching or, a, or the soldiers marching. They got their you know, the big guns first and they got the infantry and then you got the next group. of It's like a parade or, or a parade like the Rose Bowl parade. You got the bands playing and the floats ahead of them. So there's an order. That's what it's talking about. The resurrection is not, a, is not an event. It is a category. And there are two resurrections. We'll talk about the second resurrection later. You don't want to be a part of that one. We want to be a part of the first resurrection. Jesus said there's two resurrections, one to life and one to condemnation. We want to be part of the resurrection of the just to life. Amen? Amen. And so it's Jesus who led the way. He's the first to rise from the dead with many more to follow. Afterward, those who belong to Jesus, those who are Christ's, at his coming, when the king, I love that word coming, I think it's parousia, means when he shows up, 
when he's present, when he comes, when he makes himself known. And so this resurrection seems to be not only uh, uh, individually for us, but also, I would say the point Paul's making is when he, whether he comes for us individually or corporately as believers, we will share in his resurrection. Because his coming has two phases, doesn't it? The rapture of the church, right? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Jesus is coming for his bride. Are you guys with me? Amen. First Thessalonians 4, Jesus is coming for us. He said he's coming like a thief in the night. He said, let not your heart be troubled. How many people's hearts are troubled this morning? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Where did Jesus go? Heaven. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Where is he talking about? Heaven. He's coming back to get his bride to bring them back to be in the Father's house to a place he's prepared for you and for me. How glorious is that to consider this morning of what the Lord is doing? And so I believe those who don't take part in the rapture, Christ will come and get us at death, personally. I believe that. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In a, tech, in a technical sense, we don't really die. We move residences. Listen to what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God's word says, it's one book forward to the right if you're looking for it. For we know, do we know this today? That if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, what do we have? We have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Anybody groaning when they wake up in the morning? There's a few of some of you young guys are like, no way, man. Some of us older, more mature. Right? Is it like snap, crackle, pop? <laughs> we groan. Oh, I can't wait for that new body. Lord, Lord Jesus, come quickly. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. Why? That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body. And to be present with the Lord. It's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. And so we don't cease to exist, but move into the body that God has prepared for us, fitted for all eternity. And I understand there's a lot of good Bible teachers that some of them say that when we die now, that we get a temporary body, like a loner until the rapture or whenever. I, I personally don't agree with that. This is my own uh, opinion. When our resurrection comes, 
Our bodies that were fearfully and wonderfully made will be transformed and they will work as they're supposed to. I can't wait for that. I can't, listen, I, I was sharing with someone today, I can't wait to see my son run and to hear his little voice again. We will know even as we're known. There will be no limitations, total harmony, total peace. And it's all because Jesus rose from the dead. Our resurrection is just as sure as Jesus' resurrection. How do I share in that resurrection? By being in Christ, belonging to Christ, trusting in him as my Lord and my Savior. Then look at verse 24. Then comes the end. Back to 1 Corinthians 15. Then comes the end, the grand finale, the conclusion. When he, speaking of Jesus, what does he do? He delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. And so we'll talk about that in just a minute. So Jesus is going to hand over the kingdom. King Jesus will hand over the kingdom to his father. And it says, for he must reign. I love that. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is what? Death. Good news, isn't it? For he, speaking of the Father, has put all things under his feet, under the Son's feet. And Paul is Paul is reminding us that this is scriptural, this is biblical. It's been predicted all the way back in Psalm 8. That's the, the quote there from verse 27. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. In other words, the Father is not under the Son. There's order within the Trinity, correct? Is there order within the Trinity? The Son lovingly submitted to the Father in all things. He gives us that example, doesn't he? Of our loving submission to our Father to follow. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him. Why? That God may be all in all. And so Paul gives us a little, uh, a little glimpse into the future. This is in our future, you guys. So how does it roll out? Let's talk about Can we talk about it for a minute? We studied Revelation together, didn't we? Remember that study? Wasn't that cool? I thought it was killer. So awesome. What's the next event on the time clock, the historical clock, the prophetic clock. What's the next event? Rapture. The rapture of the church. Jesus coming for his bride. After that, we have the sign, Daniel chapter 9, the signing of the, some kind of peace treaty between the Antichrist and the nation of Israel, many of the Jews, which will kick off the period, the seven-year period known as the tribulation in the old testament it's called jacob's trouble has lots of different names the day of the lord in the middle of the seven-year period what's going to happen the antichrist will turn right on the jewish people he will go into the rebuilt temple in jerusalem he will proclaim himself as god and to and demand to be worshipped and then what what happens after that he goes off the rails of the crazy train doesn't he He's murdering Jews, killing Christians. I mean, it's just like pandemonium. And then what happens? Two, listen, two-thirds of the Jews are going to be killed. 
It's heavy. The one-third that are left at the end of the tribulation period will cry out and recognize Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And what's going to happen? Who's going to come? Jesus is going to come. Revelation chapter 19. Listen, chapter 6 through 19, the church is no longer mentioned. Why? Because we're in the Father's house. And then who comes back with Jesus? He's on a white horse. What are we riding? Is it white? I don't know. Maybe we're Appaloosas. I don't, does it say white? I'm not really sure. We're going to be riding horses. We come back with him, and what does he do? He vanquishes the enemies, right? Are you guys with me still? Are you guys still with me? Yep. Hopefully. <laughs> Those that are alive go into the millennial kingdom with Jesus. Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth for how long? thousand years also known as the millennial, millennial reign. Is that when the millennials are going to reign? I hope not. No, just, just a joke. Just a joke. Millennial reign. Thousand years Jesus is going to reign. And the Old Testament talks about it, how glorious it's going to be. There's going to be peace and Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron. All the promises that God made to Israel will be fulfilled in their, in, in their entirety at that time. Because God made a lot of promises to Israel. And they will be fulfilled because why? God's a promise-keeping God. Amen. He is faithful. He's reliable. His word is reliable. And so at the beginning, though, of that thousand years, the Antichrist, false prophet, they get cast into the lake of fire. See you later, alligator. Goodbye. And then Satan is bound for the whole thousand years. And so at the end of the thousand years, he gets let loose. And he starts a rebellion. Can you imagine? And there's people that follow him. Heavy. And then what happens? What, is, what happens? It all comes to a quick end for them. Fire torches them. Game over. Satan goes to the lake of fire. And then the second resurrection. Those that have died apart from Jesus Christ, who've rejected Jesus Christ, will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And they'll be sentenced to eternity in the lake of fire. I say that if you don't know the Lord today, I say with a broken heart, you need to get right with God. Or that is where you'll end up. And Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He loves you. He demonstrated his love by giving his life for you and for me. And then what happens? Death, it says, is what? Death is destroyed. Gone. Lake of fire kingdom given to the Father. Is that beautiful? We're going to see that. We're going to be handed over. We're part of the kingdom, aren't we? It's such, a, it's such a beautiful picture of the Son wanting to glorify the Father, isn't it? We're going to be there for that. That's between Revelation 20 and 21. What happens in 21? God creates a new heaven and a new... <gasps> You mean we're going to get to see our dad create something out of nothing? We sure are. How cool is that going to be? Is that amazing to you guys? We get to see our dad create something out of nothing. New heavens, new earth. And guess what? We live happily ever after. Amen. I'm, I'm cheering inside. Hallelujah. Good news. But I think the point that Paul, one of the major points that Paul is making here is to remind us what will happen to death. Death is defeated now, 
because of what Jesus did on the cross, and it will be death will be destroyed forever then. So glory. Death does not have the final say in your life or in my life. It merely ushers us into the presence of the Lord and the glory of heaven. Jesus' resurrection, his resurrection, and our resurrection are, are intricately linked together. His resurrection is sure just as our resurrection is sure. And listen, his resurrection takes all the pressure off. Because I look around us right now, how much worrying do we do about death? I don't know, Pastor. Really? Are you watching the news? How about, how about how many Christians are trying to preserve their lives? Hiding and hoarding. Is that what Jesus has called us to do? Like when Yvonne came to share with me on Wednesday night, I was so touched. Because what is she doing? She's seeking the Lord. And what is the Lord doing? Guiding her steps. Why? Because God wants to see these people saved. It's like, Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. Some of us say that, but they're like, we're like, no, you know what? I'm going to preserve my life. I'm going I'm to hide my light under a bushel. And there's some of us that, you know what? Lord, my life is in your hands. My times are in your hands. My, he already knows the days, what our days are, doesn't he? Someone once said, we're, we're immortal until we tell the Lord calls us home to be with him. That's like pretty cool to think about, isn't it? That's what Paul's going to talk about here in just a moment in these next few verses. Is that the resurrection should have radical implications on our lives. Radical consequences to the way that we live. Are you with me? Are you guys with me still? Hopefully. Look at what it says. Look at verse 29. It's so good. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So look what he's saying here. This is the application of what Paul has just been communicating. The denial of the resurrection has not only spiritual consequences in a person's life, but also practical consequences as well. And Paul is, again, working through that, that question in verse 12 of those people that are denying the resurrection. Some of them were denying the resurrection. And so Paul laid it out, didn't he? He laid it out. A matter of fact, Jesus did rise and so will we. As sure as Jesus' resurrection it is our resurrection is just as sure. Otherwise, if that's not the case, look at verse 29. What will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? I have to confess, you know, 
this is one of the hardest verses in the Bible, I think. There's like, there's like dozens of inter- interpretations of this verse. What's the correct one? Oh, I'm going to tell you. Maybe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab. Listen, I don't, I don't really know for sure, but as we read the passage here, the context, the flow, um, I think it fits um, as we look at this with, with laying down our lives for the Lord, being willing to lay down our lives for the Lord. Some people believe this is speaking of a superstitious practice, a cult practice of getting baptized for the dead. So people would get baptized for their relatives that died as unbelievers by proxy, and somehow that would get them into, uh, into heaven or into the kingdom or whatever. Um, there's some cults today that practice that. It's not in the Gospels. It's not in the book of Acts. It's not a practice we find anywhere in the scriptures. Um, listen, you can't have a relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. But in the same light, I mean, I think about baptism. Water baptism. What happens in water? Who do we associate with when we are water baptized? With Jesus. We identify with Jesus, don't we? With his death, burial, and resurrection, right? Hey, Bear just got baptized recently out in Galveston at surf camp. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hey, Bear, we had to hold down a little longer. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) But we brought him up because Jesus rose. And he's a new creation in Christ. And he will rise too. And I think one of the points that, that, that Paul may be making here is that how does baptism mean anything if Jesus didn't rise and we don't rise? Why would you get baptized at all? It doesn't make much sense to have people baptized and then they get martyred if there's no resurrection. Because Paul is saying this in light of what was going on in the early church. The people, like much of our brothers and sisters around the world, their lives are on the line every day. Listen, it may be coming to our community where we're going to need to lay down our lives for Jesus Christ. I just told my daughters that. They're going to the West Coast for college. I told them, listen, we may be getting ready to have to lay down our lives for Jesus Christ. Do not ditch him. Do not deny him. He will give you what you need at that time to strengthen you, to give you the boldness that you need to stand for him. Don't bail out. And I'm, I'm exhorting us, don't bail out. Don't chicken out. Pray for me too. Because he says in verse 30, if there's no resurrection, no reward for serving the Lord, if, not, if there's nothing after this life, why do we put our lives on the line 24-7? If being faithful to Jesus puts me in danger continually, what good is that if there's no resurrection? Why am I even doing that? That's great evidence, though, for the resurrection, isn't it? Men and women willing to lay down their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 31, I'm going on record. Paul boasts in the church. He boasts in Jesus. What is Paul boasting about? He says, I die daily. I don't think he's talking about like Luke 9.23, I'm taking up my cross, you know, dying to myself every day. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is my life is threatened continually. Every day I'm laying down my life for the message 
for the message that I'm bringing and for the life that I'm living. Listen, we have a holy message and we are to live a holy life to back it up. The gospel is a holy message and we are to live a holy life that backs it up. Are you with me? So, so crucial. Paul lived on the edge for Jesus. And then verse 32, this is heavy. It says, if in the manner of men. So this was not a spiritual battle he's talking about. He's talking about in the manner of men fighting. Because we, the, the, the battle we do have is spiritual, correct? Yes. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against, what, the principalities and powers. We're in a spiritual battle, spiritual weapons. But in this case, he says, man, I've been doing battle with these Ephesian beasts. What's he talking about there? Literally, that word... Uh, Fighting beast, Ephesus, is beast fighter. Remember what would happen to some of the Christians? They would get thrown into the arena, have to fight wild animals. It's possible Paul did that. It's possible. Some say it was ferocious and brutal men that it's talking about here. Either way, Paul is saying, if there's no resurrection, then why in the world would I do that? Why would, the, why would I get tangled with a bunch of wild beasts if there's no resurrection? If there's no resurrection, then what does he say? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Right? Let's live for the flesh. Let's, live, let's embrace pleasure at all costs. Avoid pain. It's, an epic, it's a philosophy of the Epicureans that, that probably was per, permeating in the church. Just like today, it's permeated the church. You don't need to die to yourself. You need to, you need to esteem yourself higher and higher. No, the self is the problem. I need to esteem Jesus higher and higher. Now, that's a different Bible study. Yeah. Hey, if, if, this, if, if this life is all there is, let's just eat and drink and party, man. Right? Party like it's 1999. <laughs> Death is coming. This life is all there is. It's not, though. The king, listen, the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And Paul's like, listen, why, why, why should I go against the current? No resurrection? Why should I put my life on the line? Why, why would I face this? If this, is, if this is all that life is about, no life to come, no future, no rewards for service, if there's no eternity, let's embrace this philosophy. Let's live it up. No more self-sacrifice, no more faithful service to Jesus. But we know better, don't we? Church, do we know better? Yes. We do, don't we? For sure. God has called us to be faithful. Jesus said, God's word says, it is required in a steward that he be found faithful. Every one of us here, my brothers and sisters, I love you. We need to be found faithful by Jesus Christ. Amen. We will stand before that judgment seat. Not the great white throne judgment, but the judgment seat of Christ where all of our works will be tested by fire as to the motivation of why we did what we did with what he gave us. And then we'll be rewarded. Hopefully every one of us will be rewarded. Hopefully, I'm praying every one of us will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when you pass through the veil. Mm -hmm. 
Look at verse 33. Do not be deceived. You know what that means? There's a danger of being self-deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Morally rotten companions. I learned something this week. It means more than companions. Anybody got a King Jimmy Bible? Is it communications? Evil communications? Yeah. You know what that means? Not only evil companions, but evil communications means morally rotten teaching or who you're listening to is evil. You're getting influenced by something that's ungodly. That's heavy, isn't it? The church was being influenced by people who didn't believe in the truth of the Word of God. They allowed people into their lives to teach them things that were false. And you know what's happening today? It's happening to a lot of people in the church. How do I know that? Because I look at some of the things that are posted on social media. I, don't ha- I am not on social media, by the way. Some of you know that already. But every once in a while, I'd like to peruse and see what's going down. And my question would be to some people, are you praying before you put that online? Have you even prayed about what you just put? You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure in his heart brings forth good things. But someone that has bad stuff in their heart brings forth bad things. It's like, listen, we represent the Lord, gang. There's there's not a lot of truth out there right now. And you and I, we have the truth. And we have the ability to minister the word of God. That is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, Father. We have the truth. And it's like we look at this and, and false teaching will not lead to holiness. Wrong teaching. Listen, who you listen to has a profound effect on the way that you live your life. This should be the most important influence on our life right here. Because right thinking leads to right living. Look at the last verse. He says, wake up, church, wake up. Wake up, church, wake and do and do what's right. Awake to righteousness. Do what's right. Stop sinning. Some of you, he's sadly, some of you don't know God very well. You don't know his ways. You don't have his knowledge. How can, how can he say that to the church? Because they personally, some of them maybe didn't know the Lord, or they weren't spending time with the Lord. They weren't reading their Bibles and praying. How, you know how important that is right now? With all of the stuff that's coming at us and stuff that's ramping up, that we are filtering everything that we hear and see with the Word of God. And Paul's like, I'm, you should be ashamed about this. And Paul rebukes them for being easily deceived and allowing these types of people to have an influence in their lives, to bring this junk into their lives. And I am, I am so concerned for the church, you guys. Because I only get, you, I only get to have, hang out with you guys and share the word of God with you guys. Some of you only on Sunday mornings. Some people once a month, once a, month, once a quarter. 
And it concerns me what influences you're allowing into your life. What you're taking in. Because wrong thinking, all wrong thinking, contrary, wrong thinking is what contradicts what the Bible teaches. Wrong thinking always leads to wrong behavior. Always. We won't live rightly, listen, we won't live rightly till we believe rightly. What do you mean by that? I can just say that, Mike. Come on, boy. John 8, Jesus said it. I, I'm just a parrot. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? You guys know it. Set you free or make you free. It's knowing the truth first. You shall know the truth and the truth will what? It will translate into your life practically, spiritually, morally, gloriously. Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her children. You ever thought about that? You know what that means? God's wisdom is seen in his obedient children. The quality of our lives, the way we treat people, the way we treat one another, the way we respond to adversity, the way we respond to crisis and trials. We don't take Christ out of the crisis. We bring him right into the center of everything. Every area of our lives, his word and, and what he says should permeate every part of our being. Taking our next marching order from him, our cues from him, not from the world. Look what the world is producing, the world's wisdom right now. What's the world's wisdom producing right now? Chaos. Murder, racism, rape, rage. Lies, anarchy, thefts. You can go down the line, look around us, hopelessness. Self-dominated, sin-addicted lives that are messed up, drugged up. Here's, here's your solution. Pop a pill, man. Drugged up, bummed out, hopeless, helpless, living for the flesh. It's interesting, Paul said to Titus, that's what we weren't once we were, weren't we? hating others. But then what happened? We heard the gospel, the good news. You know what? That's what people need. They don't need new legislation. That's not what we need. New laws enacted. New leadership. Unless that leader's preaching the gospel. Because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God that rescues and delivers and changes our messed up lives and sets us free. It's not external stuff changing us. It's an internal change that happens by Almighty God coming to live in our hearts, to fill our hearts with His love, with sacrifice, giving of ourselves, following our Lord's example. By this we know love, that he gave his life for us. 
following after him. And you know what I hear from people sometimes too? Well, you know what? I'm not Jesus, man. And I know, you know what I say? You're absolutely right. You're not Jesus, dude. But he's living in your heart. He's living in my heart. And the minute we stop saying, I, I, I can't, I won't, I'm too selfish, too self-centered. The minute we say, you know what, I'm going to die to myself, and I'm going to take that step of faith and trust Jesus. You know what you experience? His resurrection power in your life. Amen. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. God, may your resurrection impact our lives. Touch our hearts this morning. Thank you that you are here with us, Lord Jesus. I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would take away those things that have come from your heart. Lord, that the precious would be removed from the vile. God, we would grow in grace and the knowledge of you. We would know you more. That you would teach us your ways, that we would walk in your ways and in your paths. For many of us, we've gone on our own paths and what others have told us to walk in or what the world has told us to walk in. But Lord, we recognize this morning we need to walk in your paths to go your way. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Help us.